I'm so happy you came back for another new episode of Your New Mexico Government. I'm Kave Movahead. Amid a national conversation about voting rights, we've seen efforts to restrict access to the ballot in other states and two federal voting rights bills stalled in the United States Congress this month. Here in New Mexico, Senate Bill 8, which has the backing of Secretary of State Maggie Toulouse-Oliver and Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham, is aiming to expand voting access by making it easier to vote and even allowing new classes of people a chance to cast ballots. Today, we'll check in with KUNM reporter Nash Jones, who's been following elections and voting closely for more than a year. They've had their eye on Senate Bill 8 in particular this session because of its broad impacts on everything from voter registration to ballot drop boxes. And now it appears poised to start moving through committees. If this is a topic that gets you going, keep in mind that the bill is scheduled for a hearing in the Senate Rules Committee on February 4th. Members of the public are welcome to go to the Roundhouse for committee or floor hearings as long as you can show proof of vaccination and wear a mask inside. And if that won't work for you, catch it streaming online at nmlegis.gov. Just look for the webcast tab near the top of the page. Now, let's get to that conversation on proposed expanded voting rights. Thanks so much for joining me today, Nash. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me, Kaveh. Let's get right down to it. What are some of the key provisions in the bill? The New Mexico Voting Rights Act would allow 16 and 17-year-olds to vote in local elections. And of course, that means that they could vote in their own school board elections, along with you know those other local elections like offices like mayor or city council. It would also allow people who have been convicted of felonies to have their voting rights restored upon release from prison uh, before they finish probation or parole, which is the current law. And so folks could actually register to vote as they're preparing to exit prison. And Secretary of State Maggie Toulouse-Oliver testified in committee today about what that provision is in response to. We have heard so much from so many folks about the importance of not only the administrative benefits of allowing the post-incarcerated to be able to register and vote without going through the unfortunate hurdles that we have currently that prohibit folks who have completed the terms of their sentence to vote, but also for the purposes of reintegration into society and prevention of recidivism, allowing those folks to be able to register and vote. It also would make Election Day a state and school holiday, which the Secretary of State has said is really about kind of reducing the burden on schools that serve as polling places, which the majority of polling places across the state, she says, are schools. But that also, of course, could make voting more accessible for folks who may then have the day off for that holiday. For the general population, this bill also does quite a bit to expand voter registration access. So it would expand online voter registration by allowing folks who are eligible to vote to use their social security number rather than a driver's license in the case where maybe they don't have one. They could use their social security number to register online to vote. Of course, during the pandemic, online registration is uh, more accessible for quite a few folks and I think was used even more often than it had been in the past. 
This bill would also allow the option of automatic voter registration after making certain transactions at the MVD or the Human Services Department. That's something that you can do at the MVD, but it's not an automatic process where the MVD is going to send all of that information over to a county clerk's office. This would make that possible. A policy advocate who spoke in favor of the bill at today's Senate Rules Committee hearing, Sam Olicker Friedland, with the Center for Secure and Modern Elections, pointed to the impact of a similar policy in our neighbors to the north in Colorado. A recent study that just came out, I believe it was two weeks ago, from two professors of Stanford University found that when Colorado moved from a system similar to New Mexico's to their back-end automatic voter registration system, they more than doubled the number of people walking through the door of their MVD that ended up registered to vote. Back-end AVR also makes sure that the voter rolls are clean, updated, and that everyone is actually registered to vote at their proper address. Colorado, in the first year after implementing a back-end automatic voter registration system, updated and cleaned up 200,000 records solely in the first year, solely at their MVD. Okay, that's already a lot, but it also deals with voting rights on tribal lands, right? Right. It creates the Native American Voting Rights Act, which does a number of things to actually kind of codify and expand protections that were put into place in 2020 during the pandemic. Those things include tribal governments being able to use a chapter house or tribal government building uh, as their address to receive an absentee ballot at that mailing address, to have drop boxes on tribal lands and uh, allowing more time for requesting early voting sites or alternate voting locations. And so it codifies some of those protections that were already into place into law and expands some additional ones. You recently covered a new report from the University of New Mexico's political science department that showed over three times as many people voted absentee in 2020 than on average over the last several elections. How does this bill respond to that new reality, that new way of voting? For one, it creates a permanent absentee voter list. So that would be so people don't have to request an absentee ballot for each and every election, which is how they have to do it right now. So if you want to vote absentee right now for each individual election, you have to make that request. Hey, send me an absentee ballot. This would make it so you can say, hey, I want an absentee ballot and I always want an absentee ballot for every election, so just keep them coming. And there are some reasons that you can get booted from the list, things like not voting for two elections in a row, or if your county clerk sends you a ballot and it gets returned to them, returned to sender, uh, then you may be booted from the list till they can figure out why that's happening. But otherwise, you would just always get a mail-in ballot that would stay permanent, and then they would be diligent about making sure that they have your correct address before they send it out and that you haven't moved. And SB8 also clarifies the requirement that all counties have to have a secured ballot drop box. I know you did a bunch of reporting on drop boxes pretty recently. I'll make sure we get links up for listeners if they want to go to KUNM.org and look for your New Mexico government under the news tab. They can find those links in your reporting there. Great. Yeah. And that reporting was really centered around the local election this last November in 2021, which was the first election where this rule was put into place. The counties had to have, at the time, two ballot drop boxes and one for every 25,000 voters. And so I was looking at a number of counties, six counties, 
didn't have any, though this was the first time they had to have at least two. And there was some pushback, and this is according to the Secretary of State's office and the elections director, that the counties were saying, well, the way that the statute is written, it says a voter may use a secured ballot drop box. We don't have to provide it. It says the voter may use it. And so there was a difference of interpretation of that statute. So the statute has been expanded and clarified in SB8 to say counties shall provide at least one ballot drop box. So it it kind of moves from a may to a shall language, some stronger language there. But it also lowers the requirement. It lowers the minimum from two to one. And there is a new formula. Some counties are going to have to have more than one, depending on how many early voting sites they have. I know that gets a little in the weeds. But basically, our calculations here at KUNM show us that all but three counties uh, using this new different formula will have a lower requirement for the number of drop boxes that they have to have. So on one hand, it should clarify that counties have to have them. And so ideally, more counties will come into compliance with the law. But the law now stipulates that fewer are required. Do county clerks have the authority to have more than the minimum if if they want to? They do. They do. They can request that from the secretary of state and she can approve it to have more. And there were actually a handful of counties in 2021 that did go above the minimum that year. It's totally possible that they would like to continue to do that. And there's also a provision in the Native American Voting Rights Act within this bill that uh, allows for tribal governments to request drop boxes from the secretary of state's office. A substitute was submitted today on Wednesday through the rules committee that changed one other thing when it comes to drop boxes, and that's that it's currently clerks or their deputy clerk have to collect the ballots from those boxes every single day. This bill, this committee substitute, would make it so that the collection has to happen every three days and on election day after the polls close. I mention this because, you know, when we're talking about compliance and making sure that every single county has access to these drop boxes, one of the barriers to that is If it's only the clerk or the deputy clerk who can collect these ballots, if you're in a really rural, large county, collecting those every single day, if they are on opposite sides of the county, that could mean driving quite a ways. Hundreds of miles, I would guess. Yeah. And these are the two top election officials in the county. In an election year, they're busy. So this actually has the potential to make a big difference for rural counties having more drop boxes than they would if they did have to collect them every day. Okay, so where does the bill stand at this point? So it does remain in the Senate Rules Committee. It was heard this morning, but the committee submitted a substitute for the original bill, and that had not yet been posted online for the public's review by this morning's hearing. And it sounds like even some lawmakers had only gotten it this morning or just last night. So considering the importance of that legislation and a time crunch due to a few different factors, uh, the confirmation of the education secretary, Kurt Steinhaus, took several hours. And then lawmakers on the other end of the meeting had to get to the floor later that afternoon. So committee chair Senator Ivy Soto proposed 
getting a review of the legislation in on today's hearing and hearing public comments. There were a number of people who had shown up to comment on this bill and they wanted to respect those people's times, especially after it was delayed from Monday and and some people had flown in to give their public comment. They actually even asked, they were like, this one person has to catch a flight. Can they go first? And so they were able to gather public comment. I imagine because of the issue with the public not having had access to this substitute bill language yet, they will probably allow for more. So they said, okay, let's review the legislation, make sure everyone kind of understands this new substitute bill. Let's get public comments in. And then let's follow up with the actual discussion and voting on Friday once members of the committee and the public had more time with the new substitute bill, which uh, Senator Worth, who's a co-sponsor, said will be posted later today. So we are expecting the substitute bill to get posted, to be publicly accessible, before the panel votes on it on Friday. Is it still going to be called Senate Bill 8? It's going to be called Senate Rules Committee Substitute for Senate Bill 8. Okay, and we'll get links to that new substitute Senate Bill 8 up as soon as it's available. That's reporter Nash Jones from KUNM Radio. Thank you so much for being with me today, Nash. Thanks so much for having me, Kaveh. It was fun. Special thanks to Nash Jones, who squeezed in this talk with us before they had to run to host All Things Considered from NPR and KUNM Radio. We appreciate you, and we'll get links to your stories and the newest version of SB8 up on our website for folks to look over before that public hearing on February 4th. You can stay up to date on new voting and election laws and other bills working their way through the legislature this session by following KUNM Radio and New Mexico PBS, both online and over the air. And we always like to mention that you can also follow the hashtag YNMG on social media for the latest updates from your New Mexico government. KUNM and New Mexico PBS are working together with the Thornburg Foundation to create a citizenry that's informed and ready to participate in local government. If you have questions for us or our guests, or you want to point us towards legislation that you think needs more consideration, send us an email at ynmg at kunm.org. Until next time, I'm Kaveh Movahed, and this is your New Mexico government.